0: Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor-in-chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talk to Pete Riley of Hub International about what healthcare organizations can expect in 2022. And now, on to the interview. Well, I'm joined today by Pete Riley. He's the practice leader and chief sales officer of global insurance brokerage Hub International uh, in their North American healthcare practice. Welcome, Pete. Thank you. Um, And we're going to talk about sort of uh, some predictions for 2022, but um, before we get started, I was wondering if you could tell the folks, I know you've been on the show before, but just sort of tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and Hub International and what you do there.
1: Sure, Jay. Um, I have been in the insurance brokerage business and specifically around uh, healthcare risks, meaning those where uh, there's involvement with patient interaction uh, for going on 32 years, Uh, focusing uh, very much across the spectrum uh, of healthcare uh, from hospitals and health systems to senior care facilities all the way down to traditional physician practices uh, although uh, that business model has changed substantially in the past 30 plus years. Uh, Hub International is the fifth largest insurance broker in the world. It is the largest privately held insurance broker that really offers uh, well international uh, breadth and scope of services. Uh, We have a a very localized model where we look to have experts uh, on the ground in the various locations where we do work, but really specializing in a select set of industries, of which uh, one of those is healthcare. And that particular focus there is not just on insurance broking, but involves clinical risk expertise, traditional risk services, um, workforce and management services, as well as employee benefits uh, and retirement and wealth planning for those in the industry. So that's the uh, the brief infomercial
0: about myself uh, and, and Hub. Excellent. Uh, well, all right, well, let's talk about 2022. Um, and I want to start off with the Sort of, what's the state of the healthcare labor shortage, and do you think things are going to get worse uh, in 22?
1: Well, the current state of of the labor market is a very mixed one. Obviously, with the ongoing issues of the pandemic, uh, and you know, add to that, sort of the patchwork of vaccine mandates uh, from from federal and or state and local uh, governments. It is very much a, um, again, very much a patchwork. Um, And I do think there's going to continue to be a real labor crisis for healthcare into 2022 and barring some significant breakthrough in the treatment for uh, COVID-19, I can see it stretching into 2023. This is largely driven by, I think, some inconsistent messaging. From the institutions themselves, be it the, the the healthcare providers and organizations, obviously a great deal of information and misinformation available to the public. And lastly, there are folks who have genuine um, concerns, either religious uh, or, or otherwise, about how to treat this pandemic. Overarching all of that has long been an issue of the the pay for certain people within healthcare, and that goes from the nursing staff all the way through to general administration and, uh, you know, janitorial services that are finally really questioning whether it is, quote, worth it. And so it's a a tough environment, a very tough environment, and, and I do not see that abating into 2022 as we sit here today, December of 2021
0: yeah i mean uh, it seems like you know a huge part of the problem for uh, you know finding uh, good workers is is sort of you know the issue of burnout uh, caregiver burnout i mean it was big before absolutely before covid and it's just gotten worse uh, you know over the last almost 2 years
1: it really has jay and it is it's always been tough to be a medical provider i mean you are oftentimes dealing with um very sad cases of individuals who are suffering through no fault of their own all the way through to those people who have, you know, have not had particularly healthy lifestyle choices. And uh, really in North America, we have come to expect nothing but the best in the way of medical care. And so it's a tough profession to be dealing with an audience, if you will, a consumer who has very high expectations and wants answers immediately or in very short order and it results in very short order, when that's not always the case. And so you take what is a very scientifically driven industry, overlay real human condition and emotions, and you know, if it's your parent or child who is receiving care, and the emotional toll not only on the patient, but on the caregiver is enormous. Um, you know, throw COVID on top yeah. of all of that, and the real challenges of how do you treat people you can't touch or necessarily see. And burnout has become, it's probably the single biggest crisis in the labor market for healthcare at the moment, and one that is still simmering. I don't think it's reached a boil yet, and it's very unfortunate because 99 out of 100 of these people are fantastic individuals that are being asked to do remarkable work in awful circumstances.
0: Definitely, and another big problem um, is senior care. Um, You know, we've got so many folks in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. The population is getting older. You know, there's a huge sort of uh, uh, I guess collection of baby boomers that are about to turn. You know, either already are senior citizens or are going to be in the next couple of years, and if we can't find people to work in the offices, um, you know, how much of, and then, of course, you know, again, throw COVID in there, um, and that, that makes it even tougher. What, you know, what are you seeing in sort of the senior care market?
1: Well, the senior care market is is really and has been since the outset of COVID on the front line of this labor challenge. Uh, two of my colleagues, uh, Gerald Stoll uh, out of New York City and Jordan Parnell uh, out of Louisiana, Uh, have been on the front line of this discussion really over the past two years.
0: And and they have
1: seen very much firsthand not just the challenges of treating a very challenging patient population, but COVID has only added to the financial strain of senior care in an industry that was already operating on fairly thin margins. And a big part of that was the ability to hold down personnel costs. Mm well, that has really changed. And I don't see an easy answer for senior care uh, in in addressing that, except they are going to continue to need uh, to meet certain standards of care. And again, often vary by local jurisdictions, meaning state of California versus the state of Mississippi versus the state of New York or what have you, Mm -hmm. that they really don't have a choice. And, uh, I think they are going to have to have a bit of a a revisit of their entire sort of human resource model, uh, their workforce and absence management uh, for the people that work there. And then a small uh, component of all of this that is, and I don't mean to get into a political issue, but with the restrictions on immigration in this country, so many of the people who work in that industry are uh, not native born Americans or, or immigrants themselves the additional challenge of where they get that workforce is probably only to be exacerbated um, given the ongoing state of COVID. So I don't think there's a light at the end of the tunnel yet for senior care, uh, and I wish I had a good solution, Um, other than it it, it must become, and our advice to a lot of our clients uh, and those we interact with, is it needs to become a real dialogue within the human resources uh, group within these senior care facilities, uh, from onboarding to ongoing training and to your question a moment ago about how do you deal with burnout? Because it is the probably the toughest day-to-day environment short of um, you know, the emergency room uh, or critical care in a hospital. But every senior care facility across the US and Canada is, is facing just enormous challenge of how do you keep an at-risk population healthy from a care provider population that is unfortunately just going to be exposed to issues of COVID and other risks. It's, it's an enormous challenge and there is no quick, easy answer right now.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Let's move on to cyber crime. Obviously a, a huge issue uh, over the last little while. We've been seeing a lot of you know ransomware attacks and, and uh, things like that. Do you see that? Continuing to get uh, worse into into 2022.
1: Uh, the the answer to that is yes and no. Uh, yes, it will continue to be a, a difficult challenge for healthcare providers, in part because uh, providers historically have not spent uh, sufficient funds to protect their IT. Uh, PHI, PII, and other um, technology resources. But that is changing, and that is changing quickly. And so it will continue to be an issue only because healthcare is such a prime target for ransomware and other cyber attacks. The data that healthcare organizations house is very fruitful for cyber criminals. Mm -hmm. The reason I say no uh, it may not be to the same degree and it may be pushed off to 2023. Obviously, again, the ongoing costs of the pandemic are going to push everything non-critical forward, but you're starting to see healthcare providers across the spectrum, right down to the simplest, uh, you know, one and two position, uh, office practices take steps to address, um, protecting this data, multi-factor authentication, is really becoming the norm. Um, it's still a long way off but the healthcare industry is being forced by insurance carriers that if you don't have MFA you're not going to have insurance mm-hmm. and now there are lots of contracts and requirements uh, that they have it. So yes it will remain an issue through 2022. I do think that the industry as a whole has, uh, if I could say in air quotes, gotten religion um, about the need to protect Uh, private, uh, client, patient, payor information. Um, So I see that getting better. The, The great unknown is gonna continue to be the cyber criminals who will always seek to try to find new ways to exploit that. But I also think we're seeing those cyber criminals move beyond just healthcare and financial institutions to target just about anything they can. And so I think healthcare may become less of a target only because other industries are going to become more of a target. Hmm. Um, but And again, the, the, the good news with with data security and cyber risks is there are many tools and resources now available to not only those who buy insurance, but to healthcare providers. It can really help protect those organizations. Um, the industry has grown up so much, and my counsel to... Any healthcare organization is to avail themselves of those resources and tools, and constantly you know, it is a um, an issue that requires you know, quarterly review to make sure that you're staying one step ahead or as protected as you possibly can.
0: Right, because and, and I imagine training is a big part of that too. Just training staff to you know not click on <laughs> uh, suspicious links and things like that, because that can also lead to some of these problems. Right.
1: That's right, and 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 the advice from most of the cybersecurity experts is, you know, if if you're not sure, (laughs) don't. Mm -hmm. Meaning, don't don't click on any link, don't do those things. And there's so many marvelous tools now that are available to to help with that training. And it can be done online. Insurance carriers and other security firms are making a lot of this available uh, for at home uh, or you know in office uh, training and refreshers, et cetera, et cetera. And the technology platforms themselves are also continuing to train their people how to, to update that. Um, yes, the days of putting your password on a Post-it note and that sit next to your computer should be long gone. Um, sadly, there are still a couple out there. But yeah, that training, that new field, if you will, in the last five years has really ramped up. and The resources are now there. Providers just simply need to avail themselves of it and not, you know, try to cut corners there because cyber criminals will exploit it if they can.
0: Right. Um, Let's talk about value-based care. Um, How do you see uh, value-based care faring in 2022? and, And what can organizations do to prepare for the transition to VPC?
1: Value-based care is a, is a fascinating topic, Jay. It is, it, I liken it to sort of a tsunami wave that, you know, sadly you've seen. And uh, you can do a, you know, Google search for the videos of the tsunami waves coming on shore and people see them far off in the distance. Mm-hmm. And while those are obviously disasters and, and take an awful toll on people, um, value-based care is the reimbursement tsunami that everybody knows is coming. Um, and so it's a case of, do you get ready for it? It doesn't have to be the disaster that a true tsunami wave uh, results in. CMS and many private payers are simply going to continue the push to uh, you know, the value-based care reimbursement model away from fee-for-service because the cost of health care, and you simply have to look at CMS's Uh, annual uh, reports on this, it's unsustainable to continue at the cost growth that that we are seeing. And so while value-based care right now is still fairly limited and um, only being utilized in in certain programs being sponsored by CMS and others, I think over the coming two, five, ten-year period, it is going to become the only model by which healthcare reimbursement uh, is going to happen and so there are really two pieces to this I think uh, risk to healthcare providers one is understanding how to prepare for value-based care the coding and all the steps and the processes that need to take place to do it correctly because I think if it's done correctly value-based care does offer real upside potential for those practices and in a sort of secondary market, you know, the private equity firms who are investing so heavily in healthcare that these reimbursement models offer them a potential greater return on their investment. The other side to that sort of uh, issue is the downside risk. that if you do not prepare for value-based care, not just in the coding and the reimbursement efforts, but then the actual practice of medicine it is going to be very costly. And so I think value-based care is going to have a very significant uh, overall impact on how medicine is handled in the United States. Value-based care obviously only applies in the US, uh, not Canada or other international venues. But I think it has the potential to be the single biggest change um, as to how we ultimately deliver care because as with most economic models, the business is going to need to adapt. And so to prepare for that, I don't think 2022 is going to be when the tsunami arrives. I think uh, the federal government may continue to delay it further, but I think there'll be the continued use of some programs. The the best advice I can give to, uh, to your readers, listeners, anyone is to begin to learn about it now plan for it accordingly. Because when CMS or other uh, payers do flip the switch, it's going to be with, I think, relatively short notice. And by that, I mean, you know, a year, six months, three months. And it's going to be a wholesale change from the economic model. And that's tough to do. Uh, And there are resources to help prepare for it. There is Some insurance uh, there for the downside risk to help protect uh, the organizations, but I think it is going to be the the catalyst to a change of how a lot of medicine is done uh, across the spectrum of care uh, in the U.S. All right, Um, that's that's going to be, I think, leave aside. Eventually, the pandemic will run its course. Cyber will continue to be a constant. I think value-based care is going to be the single biggest. As I say it's going to be the tsunami wave that when it hits, you're either going to be prepared and on high ground or it's going to be very unpleasant.
0: So start thinking about it now.
1: Absolutely. And, and planning. If you're not planning by you know, July 1st of 2022, you're already well behind the eight ball.
0: Yeah. Um, let's talk about enterprise risk management. Um, why is this something that healthcare organizations should adopt now?
1: And that's the—I'm the, going to be dating myself in terms of using this phrase—but that's the the, the $64,000 question. You Was know, the famous question on the game show? Um, too often, healthcare organizations have tried to keep risk management, um, true risk management, you know, in the box of we want to prevent fire, we want to prevent bodily injury, those traditional things that you know, insurance and risk management went hand in glove. Really, about 20 years ago, and it wasn't so much in healthcare that organizations started to take that look across the entire enterprise, and not just on risks that are insurable, but those things that should you have an impact, you know, reputational harm in some instances, just have enormous ripples and waves across your ability to do business. Healthcare organizations, particularly those that are larger, often at a university or or other, um, you know. For profit public settings have really begun to look at enterprise risk in an effort to get out front on so many of these issues that we've talked about. We've just touched on a few. But what enterprise risk, I, I believe, will be so important to healthcare organizations is to begin to not only identify but understand the interplay of various risks and how those ripples go across uh, the entire organization. A great example that we talked about a little earlier was with burnout, and you asked that question specifically about burnout. Uh, If you have a a group of nurses, one of the key elements, one of the foundational aspects of any organization, healthcare organization, if you begin to have your nursing staff burned out to the, the point that they already are, but to the point where they are not delivering that their vital role uh, in the care delivery model, you begin to pull on that thread and it can go in so many different directions where doctors will begin to make errors because, um, not, not because of the nurses themselves, but the nursing staff will, will simply make human error that, that people make or a doctor may ask for something and the follow-up isn't done. Um, Doctors may push work back to the nurses that they don't want to do. And so I don't mean to in any way, shape, or form imply that nurses are responsible for uh, deterioration of care, but they're such a great linchpin of care that if an enterprise doesn't address an issue of burnout, you're going to have poor patient care, bad medical records. You know, the outcomes are going to begin to diminish over time, which under a value-based care model, will result in in lower reimbursements, Uh, just the interconnectedness of something as already complex as nurse staff burnout, the ripples are huge. And that is a long-winded way of saying that healthcare organizations that don't begin to connect those dots, and that goes to recruiting. How do you have a uh, a good stable of new nurses to come on board for those who want to retire to say, "I'm, I'm, I'm done with this? The enterprise-wide need to look at some of these issues really pushes the bounds of what traditional risk management has been, you know, which was legal, finance, and some patient care. But it, it's really going to expand that universe. And healthcare organizations are really going to have to be ready to think broadly rather than Uh, Again, and it's through no one's fault, but the the more traditional risk approach, Uh, you know, clinically. Again, we've talked about workforce burnout and absence management. All of these things are now interconnected, and the healthcare organizations that are going to thrive are going to begin to take a much more enterprise-wide view of risk and try to adapt accordingly. I think healthcare is fortunate that that's an industry that can't go away. Patients are going to continue to need it. So that they probably have a little more time to adapt enterprise-wide risk as opposed to a more commoditized business. But if they don't, again, the potential ripples or impact, if you pull on one thread, the the, the end result, which may be you know at the far end of that thread, could be disastrous. And so there is a need to look you know, from the alpha to the omega uh, on issues of risk and continue to ask the questions, what if? And I think healthcare, as I said, may have some more time, but I see no industry that has more need to do it because if it collapses the entire economy, you know, societal norms really will will get frayed.
0: Um, So 2022, there's a lot to be concerned about, but it's not all bad news. I mean, you're sort of, are you, would you say you're cautiously optimistic that things will work out? Okay.
1: I'm, I, I'm probably even more than cautiously optimistic. I think if anything, the American healthcare system over the past and you know, since March of 2020 has shown unbelievable resilience. And that's not only from the management uh, of those organizations to the use of technologies and tools such as telehealth and virtual care, uh, and those models continue to expand. Um, The people working on the front lines have been extraordinary. And so I am more than cautiously optimistic that there are people who go into healthcare with the absolute best of intentions. And I think there continues to be a great number of people, doctors, nurses, administrative staff, uh, again, those in the physical plant, who do what they do in part out of a real altruistic belief that they are doing good. Okay. And this may sound a little silly, but I think there's an enormous well of human goodwill around healthcare care, because you are having an amazing impact on people's lives. And so while this is a very, very difficult time, um, I think The healthcare industry in in, in many, many parts of the world, particularly in the U.S. and Canada, have shown that while it may not be pleasant, the outcomes we could have had otherwise um, would have been horrific. But look how quickly we developed the drugs and the vaccines to help address this. Look how quickly other um, uh, non-vaccine products, and I, I mean real ones, not the uh, some of the garbage you will find on social media um, but real other uh, treatments uh, and the ability to help address this while at the same time beginning to see breakthroughs such as potentially with Alzheimer's and and, and other awful diseases, the industry has kept going. there's always the threat that people are going to say oh they're just doing it for money and the drug companies and and yes moderna and Pfizer and others have probably profited very nicely uh, from the vaccine. But the people who were behind it and developed that, the people who volunteered to get it into the arms of you know 200 million Americans, and I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't know the number of Canadians, but uh, that remarkable reservoir wanting to do good is what will continue to drive healthcare. And I think it'll be that way around even issues of data security. People want to protect other people's data and have the uh, information available to medical providers so people can be treated and cured. Um, And I think our medical schools continue to do a remarkable job of turning out doctors. We need to do more. We need more general practitioners. But our ability to provide medical care in the United States and Canada remains If not second to none, it's remarkable in its um, ability. And so for that reason, I remain optimistic in the people. We need to get our financial model a little better, um, particularly in the U.S. But that, too, I think people are beginning to understand that we often have a healthcare finance crisis in the United States. And, you know, for people who can afford it but I think we will fix that problem because we understand the vital significance and importance of it. Um, So I guess, yes, I I, I am cautiously optimistic, if not more so, um, but I think even in the midst of all this awful news, um, what the healthcare industry did over the past, you know, coming on to two years has been nothing short of remarkable and miraculous.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, Pete, I want to thank you so much for uh, for joining me today. And uh, here's to a good, uh, good 2022.
1: Let's hope and uh, certainly happy to offer commentary as we go further. But um, uh, I do think there's uh, there's reason to be optimistic. And if nothing else, persistence is is the name of the game at the moment. And um, as I say to a lot of my colleagues, (laughs) onward and upward.
0: Absolutely. Thank you that wraps up episode 45 of psqh the podcast thanks for listening and i hope to join me next time you can find more information about the show and listen on demand episodes at psqh.com you can subscribe to the show on soundcloud apple Podcasts, google play or spotify thanks again and stay safe